Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hello, I'm Steve, Arsenal fan and founder of FindPubSport.com. Haven't been on for a while. Good to be back. Um, uh, Yeah, so thanks for having me back, Kev, and looking forward, sort of, to talking about Arsenal. (laughs) I'm Jake, representing Newcastle on the podcast. You can get me on Twitter at JakeJackman with two N's. And I write for EPL Index and The Boot Room. All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Up first, we'll address some news and notes from the Premier League this weekend. The most uh, interesting to me thus far being that Crystal Palace are the only professional side in England at any level to have not scored a goal yet. They have four consecutive losses and are yet still ahead of West Ham in the table somehow. But uh, I want to talk to you guys about Frank De Boer. I know, Jake, you wrote an article uh, for our friends over at the Eagles Beak. Uh, when he was brought in, you'd think he'd be given time, but four consecutive losses does not look good. There was already talk of him potentially departing after their last match um, before the international break when they played Swansea and lost that one 2-0. A 1-0 loss to Burnley today. They did look the brighter side at times. Multiple chances, weirdly, from Scott Dan, who could have had a hat-trick genuinely. But things are looking very bad. Right now... Do you think it's more important to see what his long-term goal would be at the club to see how, if he can develop everyone, to see if he can get the players to match their system? Or do you think it's time to, even th- at this early stage, to just cut and run, find a replacement, and then move from there forward? From my point of view, I'm always an advocate of giving people a bit more time. Um, four games is not long enough, especially when you're going stylistically. If you think about what Palace might have been used to, over the last few years, particularly, you know, Sam Allardyce and that sort of thing. It's been a bit more of a, um, well, it's been more of a a straightforward style. And I'm not criticising that at all. That is as valid a style as any kind of style in football, to be fair. Um, And it has been successful for them, keeping them in the Premier League. They used to be a bit more of a yo-yo club. And now they're not um, as much. But De Boer's style is just different to what any of those players are used to. But they're professional football players, and I'm sure they will be able to come around to it, given the opportunity to do so. I think, from my point of view, I'm always uh, an advocate of giving someone more time, allow them to put their uh, stamp on a club. That's why you hired them in the first place. Um, If Crystal Palace didn't have a look at what he'd done previously at uh, Inter Milan and Ajax, then they didn't do their, their... research anyway and they've got to live by that decision either way um but yeah i think give him more time see what happens at the moment looking at the premier league table obviously it's it's only four games in anyway so it's not like they're cut adrift um there are three other clubs down there at the moment with well three clubs down there at the moment with zero points leicester on three uh, everton uh, swansea and brighton on four so there are no clubs pulling away yet there hasn't been time to so until they start to see a gap i don't think the time is right um to me there's a big parallel with last year obviously it's slightly different because they came off the back of being champions but leicester city they gave claudio ranieri a lot of time to win back that dressing room that he'd clearly lost um but it was when they started to feel, they started to see that 17th place slipping away a bit 
that they made the decision that they made. At the moment, unless Bournemouth, West Ham, Leicester and Everton uh, and Swansea and Brighton, as I mentioned, start pulling away, I think give him some time. It's it's very early into the season. There are 34 more matches left. I think my maths is right on that. <laughs> 34 more matches left. There's still loads of points on the table. And the fact is, we're never going to know if managers are going to be able to make it in the Premier League, if they're going to come in and be sacked after four games. And it might be that De Boer is someone who has the potential to do a really, really good job in the Premier League, but this could taint him if he is not given the chance to turn it around. If he is, then people will be given the chance to discover a manager who's able to mould a football club, change the way that they're playing, um, change their style and take them forward um, and, and make a difference. So from my point of view, yeah, give him more time and um, and see what happens. Wait, and, wait until there's a bit more of a gap because there's a lot... We've seen clubs go on runs and there's there's a, a long way to go just yet. So give the, give the guy a chance. Yeah, for, for me, it's it's a difficult one because I wasn't convinced he was the right appointment in the first place. Uh, I watched a lot of his Ajax team and although I thought they were very good at the time, I think they won five back-to-back titles, which is ridiculous. And at the time, they played some really good stuff. They had some good players and like, Christian Eriksen was excellent in that team. But... The, the thing about that team was it was a very poor league at the time, the Eredivisie. And although it's still not the best, it's got a lot more competitive. And I think the person that came in after De Boer, Peter Bosch, who got them to the Europa League final last season, um, did such, such a good job that it really just made De Boer look like a, a little bit of a weaker manager. And, and based on what I... This, my, my opinion on De Boer is totally based on what I did last season. Is that I think that what he did there gave him a bit of a false reputation and that he isn't really as good as we all think he is. So when Palace appointed him, I, I, like, like you mentioned earlier, the, the article I wrote for the Eagles speak, I, I said in that that De Boer has the potential to be a very good manager. He, he's got good ideals. He can, uh, he's obviously played the game to a very high standard. Um, no, obviously he knows a lot about football, and growing up in that Ajax system would, would have helped him a lot in, in, to, in terms of like moulding a club, getting the right infrastructure in place. Like, He's got everything. It's just he's very stubborn. And when he came to Palace, it was it was a, just not a job that suited him. It was a bit like the Inter Milan job last season. That did not suit him at all. And he was very stubborn there. It, and, and this exact same question came up there. They, they were thinking, should we give him more time? And they kept giving him more time. And he just didn't really turn it around, which I guess this is another the same, same thing at Palace. But the difference of this is that he, it, they've got a squad that just don't know how to play that way that they they've got they were playing on the Sam Allardyce the last five Crystal Palace managers I, I've got them up here Ian Holloway Tony Pulis Neil Warnock Alan Pardew Sam Allardyce to go from those five to Frank De Boer is, is mental like the Palace board you never made that appointment in the first place if you want to get to that free-flowing football transition it like Alan Pardew is a good transitional manager although he's not the best coach he plays a little bit more attacking possession-based football than the other four people I just mentioned. So to go in from Neil Warnock, Tony Pulis, to, uh, Alan Pardew back to Sam Allardyce was, was a bad strategic move, although it got them to stay in the Premier League. They, they probably shouldn't have done that. But but based on this question, I would I would probably give them a bit more time. I don't think they've been as bad as, as the table suggests. Today, 
they probably would have won that game nine times out of ten. Got Dan missed that guilt-edged opportunity. The Burnley goal was just an individual error. Like, you cannot coach for that. You, you can't. You, there's nothing you can do about that. Individual errors and sort of goals from range or ridiculous goals. Like, you just got to just hold your hands and say, there's nothing you can do about that. No system can coach for that. It's, they just happen. He was just very unlucky today. And on the basis of that performance, like, there was enough about Palace uh, in their possession, their passes, their creating of opportunities. I think they got over two expected goals or, you know, uh, on one measure I read. But that's, that's like, quite promising. I think they're eighth in the table overall uh, for expected goals this season. So, like, they're, they're not playing badly. But I don't expect Steve Parrish is going to be looking at expected goals to, to make this decision. But there's, there's a lot about them. <laughs> there's a lot about them to be positive about. I, I just think De Bush is very stubborn. I don't think he's going to change. I think that's that's totally going to be the undoing of him. I, I said in this article, if he learns to slowly transition it and can be a little bit flexible of the way he, he manages, like the best managers, um, they're all flexible. Like I, I, I'm just bringing this to Rafa Benitez because that's exactly what I'm thinking about at the moment. But we, we don't play good football at the moment. We're very disciplined. We play percentages, and but we're getting results. And, it, and it, the very best managers know how to change their style for the players they have. And DeBoer brought in some good footballers, both Mensa, Rio de both good players. Like there's some players that could play that system, but it's just a very slow transition. Like to go from that wing play and, and balls in the box to Benteke to some slow build up, it's just not going to be a quick fix. Like if you had a slow transition, it would be fine. I, I think they should give him more time based on today. Like they probably should have won today. They did okay against Liverpool. They. We're unlucky against Huddersfield. I think I think three oh, 0 was a very unfair scoreline. They they were not bad, and it, the same against Swansea as well. They were they were decent enough, and on another day could have got a better result. It's just the lack of confidence is just in that squad. That's not helping anything. Like their individual errors are just a complete. It's just down to a lack of confidence. And today they had Sacco, Zaha, they had Sacco and Zaha out. Like, and Ruben lost his cheek as well. Like if you have those three players in today, I think they probably would have won. I, I think. It would be very trigger-happy uh, to get rid of him now. They picked him a couple of months ago. Why have they suddenly changed their mind? Like, it's four bad results. But, like, two two or three wins in a row will get you off that table. I think it's very too, it's just way too soon to get rid of him. But also, I'm not totally convinced he's the right man in the long term either. I'm not totally convinced he is this great manager that we all thought he was. I thought he was as well. But I just don't, I'm not convinced by him anymore. But also, he's, he deserves at least two or three more matches. Yeah, I think it's interesting because I think I would have been more okay if he had been sacked after the last match than after this one. Because I agree with you. I think there were a lot of positive signs um, today. If if you did it last week, it could be seen as reactionary. But as I said in the lead-in, maybe you pull that trigger and then you get yourself on the right path for the rest of the season even earlier. Um, but now it feels like we've passed that window. Uh, and now if you didn't get rid of him last week and you did get rid of him this week, you'd have to question what matches they were watching. Um, I did see an interesting note on uh, the back pass that obviously led to the Chris Wood goal, which was that that may have actually been a lack of familiarity with the tactics um, because he wasn't expecting the center backs to be split. So either that or he just played one of the worst back passes in history. Either one, uh, but did think it was interesting that uh, somebody was blaming the system for that pass uh, instead of just the player that perhaps in some way it was still uh, slightly on DeBoer there. I agree, though. I, I think they should stick with him now. Um, as you mentioned, 
he he's the one that helped bring Sako back. Um, he's the one that asked for Sako back as well. Then you obviously have Ruben Loftus-Cheek, who was very good in his first couple of matches before he got hurt. Um, and as you mentioned, Wilfried Zaha was always going to be the best player on this team. Uh, and him missing the last few matches uh, makes it harder to get a good uh, assessment of how good this team could be. Uh, especially in a De Boer attack, where you know a lot of pace in attack can uh, often unlock defenses. So I agree. I think uh, he should stay at the time, but it must be very concerning. And, and the fact that they're the only team in England... Uh, professionally yet to have scored a goal is certainly not a headline that Palace uh, would like to see at the moment. All right, looking at the other end of the table, uh, we have some really uh, big surprises thus far. I I think Huddersfield against Palace that opening weekend uh, really was a huge result for them, and I don't think they've lost yet. As we're recording, they've yet to play the West Ham match. Um, Wagner was uh, manager of the month, which is pretty impressive for them. We all loved Marco Silva last year, what he brought to the Premier League. He's moved to Watford, doing very big things there. And Burnley, who you know lost their leading goal scorer and their best defender, all of a sudden looking pretty legitimate, having uh, beaten Chelsea, drawn Tottenham, and then gone out again uh, today and gotten another draw. So of these three... Who do you think is most likely to continue their early success? And is there anybody else you think should be kind of in this list of early surprises? Um, first of all, uh, I just want to say how great it is to see the early surprises. There's always, uh, well, there's usually one, I say. And again, I go back to what I said at the last one. This is four games in, so I'm sure one or two of these would will fade away um, in the coming weeks. But... Um, there's usually one who, and Watford have done it actually previously. I seem to remember their, them a couple of seasons ago, maybe three seasons ago, hanging around in the top four for the first 10 or 12 games or something like that. Um, but it's always good to see someone um, someone new up the top. I, I think it's it's good for the, for the league. Um, in terms of who will last, um, just thinking about the games they've already played, and the way they've played them, based on what I've seen, I haven't seen every minute of every game, that's a disclaimer, but based on what I've seen, um, I, I, I think Burnley will finish above Watford and Huddersfield this season, um, when when all is told. Don't know necessarily whether that's going to be still be in the top you know, eight or nine or whatever, but um, of the three of them, I think the team who are most likely to potentially keep this go up going forward are Burnley for three reasons. One, they are more experienced in the Premier League at this point than they've ever been. Um, and I feel like Sean Dyche has got a really good um, a good feel for it now. Um, and two, the fixtures that they've already played, um, they've already played Tottenham and taken a point of them. They've already played Chelsea and taken all three points off them. Um, so those are two of the most difficult matches, and they're both away, two of the most difficult matches that any team will play this season, potentially. Obviously, we've yet to see how much being at Wembley will affect Spurs, but potentially Tottenham and Chelsea are going to be two of the toughest away matches you're going to play, and Burnley got four points off those. Um, so based on form so far, you've got to say... Burnley, if they can keep up this level of organisation, keep up what they're doing, then they have every chance of sticking at that top end of the table, top half of the table, 
um, for a decent amount of time. Um, I don't have an encyclopedic knowledge of what they've sort of got coming up. I know, I, I know their next game is Liverpool away, but I don't see any reason why they should be afraid of that, given what they've done so far this season. Um, and I've just clicked on their page on give credit to the BBC website. And actually, yeah, looking at it, the one after that is against Huddersfield at home. So that's that'll be an interesting on the 23rd of September. That's that's between two of these t- early form teams, early surprises. Um, and they're at home in that one. So I think of these three, Burnley will be the one to hang on for a little bit longer based on what we've seen so far. Um, but Because to have taken... I'm an Arsenal fan, for, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> and um, if we take four points off Chelsea and Spurs away this season, I'd be happy with that. So Burnley, that is, that is a fantastic result. Um, they're obviously on form. They're obviously a very tight squad. Um, yeah, so... I think I think they have every chance of just keeping this run going for the time being. I think after a short while, Huddersfield might start to drop away a little bit. I don't I don't think they're going to struggle this season, given what we've seen so far and given what we've seen at the bottom end of the table. I think they'll be safe, um, but I just don't think they'll have the staying power of um, of Burnley. Uh, um, meanwhile, Watford. I don't think they've had the most difficult of fixture lists thus far. Um, so, so yeah, I'd, my my vote will go to Burnley. Cut to next weekend when they get battered 8-0 by Liverpool. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go slightly different on this. I'm, I'm thinking Watford are going to come the highest out of those three teams. I quite like Marco Silva. He's, he's obviously done very well in England. I'm not totally convinced by him as a set-piece coach, but I can't say I've watched a lot of Watford this season. So I don't know if that's a problem at either end. But that, that was one concern I had about him at, at Hull. And he, it was it was quite a big one, I think. So uh, we'll see how that goes. But the, the players they brought in, I think they've done well. Audrey Gray, you know what you're getting. He, he run, he run, he, he's just a worker. And I think a player like that, if you surround him with the right, the right attack, he, he's very effective. He's never going to get more than 10 goals a season. But I think that's... Watford have goal scorers across the pitch. Uh, Darryl did he get one yesterday? He, he's always good for a goal uh, when he was at Newcastle. Yeah, he did. Richarlison looks like, Richarlison looks like quite a good player. Um, Kapue is very good in the centre centre of the park. Um, you got Dini as well. I just think they've they've just got good players. Like they know what they're doing. They they've got quite an old squad. If I'm correct in thinking, so maybe around the Christmas period they might drop off. But I I just quite like Watford. I think they're they're a good team. Um, I think Marcus Silva is going to get the best out of them. The only concern I would have is that they've had good managers before, and the moment it gets forty points, they just totally just switch off. And maybe that's going to going to be a thing again, because it's, some clubs just have that in their DNA. West Brom have it, and Watford have had it since they've come back up. So maybe that's going to be a concern. But I think they've got the most talented squad out of the three. Burnley, the thing I like about them is how they recruited. They're not pretending to be anything they're not. Like as as fun as Renato Sanchez, fun as Swansea is. Like, is he the best signing for what they need? Maybe not. And then you look at Burnley, they, they know what they are. Jack Cork, uh, Jonathan Walters, Chris Wood. They're just like the perfect signings for, for, for the type of club they are, and they're going to fit in easily, and they're just going to uh, just work hard like the rest of the team. They're just, they're just great fits. And I think Burnley, are gonna, they're going to stay. I don't think they're going to do anything too great. It's like it's 
way too soon to make any snap judgments. Like throughout the season, every single team are going to have a good four games. Like in, in a run, that happens all the time. Even Sunderland looked alright for four games last season. At one point, I seem to remember. So, like it's way too soon to make any sort of snap judgments. But I think Burnley should be fine based on they've got more talent than they had when they were in the Premier League before, and they've got the same work. Uh, determined sort of attitude on the pitch and that nearly saw them safe last time and I think they've got even better players so they should be fine Huddersfield I probably know a bit more about Huddersfield than you do based on being in the championship with them last season I think they've got the same problems that they had last season in that they don't score enough uh, they don't score enough goals um, they finished with a negative goal difference last season and made the playoffs which had never had not happened in recent history in the championship and I think Huddersfield were the first thing to do that in, in 10 or 11 years and I think they've got the same problems again they've got a very solid defense but they're never going to win by more than one goal and in the Premier League those sort of those like small margins are so tough to up, uh, upkeep but the game against Palace was an outlier I think I think most teams would have been Palace that day as we spoke about Palace they've got their own problems and they tried to switch to a new system way too quickly and Huddersfield took advantage of that but even based on that game they weren't the dominant team I think Palace could have got a result on that on another day. I think Huddersfield took their chances, but if on another day they, they wouldn't have taken any of those. So I, I just think I'm not that convinced by Huddersfield as an attacking team against us when they played us. They, they We probably had the better chances uh, and the goal for Maramoy was just an incredible goal. Like you, You're not going to be scoring them every week. I think David Wagner is a, a very good coach. He's going to adapt well to this level. I think he's he's going to be able to... like. The, the the main the the main reason Huddersfield got promoted was their sort of fighting spirit, the way they stuck together, and that's gonna gonna go a long way this season. I think they're definitely gonna be down in the relegation fight, but I did predict them to stay up at the start of the season based on David Wagner, so I'm gonna stick to that. But I don't think they're gonna be anywhere near sort of the top half, but in a few months' time, they're definitely gonna be one of the teams at the bottom. So yeah, I, I just think all these teams are gonna finish in the bottom half. I just don't think any of them are that good. <laughs> They've just had a good four games. I think they're all good enough to stay up on their own merits, but I just don't think any of them are going to stay in the top half. The only one that could is Watford if they up, if they manage to continue to motivate themselves after uh, getting to 40 points. But yeah, I'm, I'm not overly convinced by any of these teams, really. Yeah, I I, uh, I do think of of these teams, I, I do think Watford probably have the best chance. I, I loved a lot of your points on Burnley, Steve. My, my only concern is... Um, how how are they going to deal with any potential injury at the back? They're losing Michael Keane and just not replacing him, I think it was one of the strangest decisions we saw in the transfer window. And we were not lacking strange decisions in this transfer window. Um, if they lose one of Tarkovsky or me, things are going to get real dire at the back really fast for them. I, I fully believe that Sean Dyche could somehow finagle some kind of system to protect whoever would be back there. Um, but that could be bad. Chris Wood has two goals and two appearances. Don't know if that's going to keep up. I think Vokes uh, finished with a few more goals than were, were likely, um, statistically speaking. Uh, I fully believe that they'll be fine. I just think they're one of those like 14th-ish place teams where it's never going to really feel like they're going down, but it's never really going to feel like they're going to make much of an impact. Although, as you say, have already potentially affected the title race with four points off of last season's top two teams. Um Watford, I am very impressed by. Uh, Richarlison does look a very good buy, as was said. Uh, Etienne Capoue and Nathaniel Cholobos should be one of the better central midfield pairings. 
But they haven't started Kapu yet this season, which is a very strange thing, uh, except that Decore scored a goal uh, last week. So uh, who knows whether or not that's going to keep going. But they've done all of this without Troy Deeney, who has been their quote-unquote talisman. I, I think he kind of means more to the ethos of the team than actual performances. But um, get him back in there. The center backs, I still have questions about um, for Watford. Uh, Kiko Firmina has looked really good for them, although Yanmat is about to come back and take that spot again and did score, as Jake said. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think I think Watford are a really interesting team. We know Marco Silva doesn't lose at home. Uh, two draws at home already to start the season. Uh, the opening one, was that Liverpool? I think the first week they drew at home, um, if memory serves. Uh, and if yeah, they... Cool. Yeah. So if Watford win all of their remaining home games, they will end up on 51 points, which is obviously safe. And last season would have put them eighth. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a crazy limb here and say that Watford are going to finish top 10 this season. Is it too early to tell that? Yes. Uh, but I, I, think they could, I think they could legitimately challenge people this year. I think they're going to take the place of West Brom, who I thought would take a big step forward. Uh, and turns out their manager is still Tony Pulis. So doesn't matter how much talent they have, still going to set up to defend. And the fact that they set up to defend and can still concede three goals is incredible in not the good way. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with topics for each guest about each team. All right, and we are back. Uh, Steve, we joked a little bit in the pre-show about how there's really nothing to talk about with Arsenal. I mean, no really big storylines, like huge losses, huge wins. Everybody is united in loving Arsene Wenger. Uh, and uh, there's the Alexis issue. Uh, I guess we'll start with the Alexis one. Our show last week, we discussed how teams can reintegrate players back in. Seems like it's happened pretty quick. Wenger saying he doesn't expect it to be too long before we see Alexis back at his best. He does come on as a substitute and what ended up uh, being a pretty big win for you. Do you think the Alexis situation is already dealt with, or do you think we've yet to hear the end of the story? Uh, well, to follow straight on from the end of your question there, the end of this story will be him leaving Arsenal um, probably at the end of this season, if not in January. Uh, that will be the end of the story. Um, he will be under a microscope for the entirety of the season. Um and any time he has a blow up at one of his fellow players, which he is often known for, it will be because of this. Um, you know what pundits are like. They will forget that he's been doing it for two years before any of this contract stuff ever happened. But next time he turns around and has a go at someone for misplacing a pass, it will be because he wanted to leave. Um, so the actual end of it will be when he does leave. It won't be the last we hear of it because the media and the pundits will continue to make it a story every time Arsenal lose or every time um he does have a go at anyone they'll 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 pretty much ignore any of the any of the um good stuff that happens because it won't feed into their narrative um when he scores a goal they won't be saying oh that's because he's reintegrated they'll just be waiting for it to fall back down again that will be my expectation um in terms of how i think it'll play out just the kind of player he is. I A lot of people have kind of ruminated on the fact that he might make a nuisance of himself. A lot of people have said that he might down tools. I don't think either of those things will happen. He's a professional player. He loves the game of football. Um, 
And I think that is what has allowed Arsene Wenger to be as confident as he is that it's not going to affect his um, his ability to play. I think he, whenever he plays football, he just plays it 100%. That's how he. That's the only way he knows how to do it. Um, apart from anything else as well, it's a World Cup year. Now, I know that Chile actually aren't looking very likely to qualify for the World Cup, which would be a real shame. But until that's confirmed that they're not, going to qualify for the World Cup he's got a World Cup place to play for as well um, granted he's one of their top players so the likelihood of him actually being dropped even if he has a dire season is small but it's it's something it is something that that will stand as a motivation and if he can spend this season knowing look all he's got to do is play it out um, and then he'll be on to his probably what will be the biggest uh, the, the biggest contract and the final big contract of his career as he kind of hits his late twenties, I think he'll have, he'll just have to accept it. But he'll 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 play he'll play to the best of his ability. I don't have any doubts about Alexis Sanchez. I just think it's a shame that the hierarchy at the club let it get to this point. Um, same goes for Mesut Özil, of course. And then we saw what happened with Oxlade Chamberlain when he left, which I don't think is it's a shame but it's not that big a loss. And you know what? 35 million for who would have been our second choice right wing back or right full back. Can't say fairer than that. But on the flip side, I think um, I think Sanchez will still be an effective player for us. And I'm still looking forward. We haven't seen yet that combination really with Lacazette. And I am looking forward to seeing how that plays out because... Lacazette's finishing so far has been brilliant to watch. Um, whether it was the goal yesterday, um, his scoring within the first few minutes of his debut, uh, the goal, in fact, the offside, the goal that he scored against Stoke, where he was incorrectly ruled offside, that was a hell of a finish as well. So he's got his shooting boots on this season. And if Sanchez can can link up with him, I'm looking forward to seeing it. It's just a shame that we're only going to see it for one season or half a season. But it's not the last we'll have heard of it, but the end of the story will be him leaving. And um, that that's inevitable. I don't think there's any coming back from this now. Disappointing, uh, especially if he ends up leaving the Premier League. But uh, Alexis, obviously a very good player on his day. You mentioned Lacazette there. You assume that those two will be pretty regular fixtures uh, in your starting eleven. Oxlade-Chamberlain moving on. He wasn't always playing on the right wing, but just curious as to who you think will occupy that space or if we'll perhaps see a continuation of this three-at-the-back tactical change. Um, yeah, potentially. I mean, if if we stick with the three-at-the-back, then I think Hector Bellerin really has got that place sewn up at right-back. Um, going back to the Liverpool game of last last time out before the international break, I can't, it's one of the very first times when I've, every now and again, Arsene Wenger makes a decision that I don't quite get, but that team against Liverpool with, was absolutely littered with them. Um, we played Bellerin on the left-hand side to accommodate Oxlade-Chamberlain on the right-hand side, even though we knew he was probably going to be leaving. Meanwhile, we kept Klasinac on the bench, our new signing, who was one of the best defenders in the Bundesliga last year. It does. It just didn't make any sense to me. I think Bellerin will be on the right-hand side. Uh, he'll be on the right-hand side if we revert to four. He'll be on the right-hand side if we stick with the uh, three at the back. Um, 
And if we go back to the four, I think we might see the return of Theo Walcott at some point, because at the moment he doesn't have a place in this team because he isn't defensive minded enough to play right fullback. Uh, oh, sorry, right wing back if we've got three at the back. So, um, yeah, that'll be that'll be Bellerin's place to lose, I think, on the right hand side. The only problem is now without Oxley Chamberlain, we don't really have much cover there. Um, so I suppose we could, there are a couple of players who we could play there. Um, on the right-hand side, but nobody who you would have as much confidence in as you would Hector Bellerin, for sure. Mm. Um, yeah, so, I mean, in terms of in terms of how the negative effect, it's just a bit of the Oxlade-Chamberlain sale. I think it is more of a, a strength-in-depth issue, a strength-in-depth issue as opposed to a weakening of the first team, as it were. Interesting stuff, for sure. Uh, Jake, we saw a heavily rotated Newcastle side today is one way to put it you still come away with the three points is this something we should get used to from Rafa Benitez um I don't think we were that heavily rotated um I the I mean our bench did look pretty strong but um I guess who, who are you talking about missing out Shelby Gale Yedlin, Atsu, Yedlin Atsu and Lijan, of course yeah hadn't been fit yet but yeah, but I think the only player that I was slightly surprised not to see start was Atsu. But then he he just come back from international training, uh, international duty, I think, on Friday. So it makes sense that he, he sat out. And he came on uh, on 58 minutes. So I think it was definitely a plan to bring him on there. And I think he'll be back in the team next week. But I think the rest of the team seems to be our full strength 11, I'd say. Maybe apart from Lejeune, I think it's probably going to come in for Lasales. Well, I mean, that seems stupid now after what Lascelles did today. But <laughs> I, I mean, that was the spot that everyone thought he'd take. And I definitely think Lejeune is the best defender we have at our club on the small amount of football I've seen him play. But, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a strong position for us. And maybe we could see us switch him to a back three to get all three of them in. Or Kieran Clark might switch to left back. But, I, I, um, I mean, I thought it was a pretty good lineup. Marino is, is made that spot in the centre midfield of his own. I think him and Hayden complement each other quite well. Um, Marina is sort of the more creative one and Hayden does sort of the dirty work and it, it just r- runs itself into the ground. He has a lot of energy as well. Um, different to sort of what we've had before. Like before we used to have Cole back play that role, but Hayden's a bit more mobile. He's got a bit more energy. He's just a, a little bit better at everything. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Shelby not start. I think he's going to get punished. I think he's probably still our most talented player, but... He's just not trusted anymore, and, and I don't really blame Benitez for not trusting him, especially today as well, going back to his old club. It's probably the right decision to, to sit him out and, and maybe let him think about it. Maybe just let him just sit, sit, and sit on the bench and just think about his decisions because he, he's got all the talent to be... He's got all the talent to make England's World Cup squad this year. He, he's like exactly what England need in the centre of the bar. But he's just, he's just an idiot. He just needs to learn. And I think this, he's going he's gonna to get some tough love from Benitez over the next few weeks. I don't think he's going to get back in the team for a while. Um, and when he does, I think it could be for a Jose Perez, and he might play a sort of more advanced role, which would suit him better and sort of keep him away from the more, um, I guess, the aggressive side of the game, sort of the tackling and getting involved with in the midfield battle, keep him away from that might be a better move in the long term. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think we're that heavily rotated. I think Hossolu is probably going to be our number one striker. And if you compare... Uh, the game today, uh, everyone's read and, and heard everything about Rafa Benitez being unhappy. It's not a it's not a secret anymore. And one of the reasons for that was our failure to get Tammy Abraham. He was one of our priority targets, and we agreed a loan deal, which wasn't cheap. Uh, I, I've, I've read a lot of people talking about Swansea's loan deals for Sanchez and Abraham being quite cheap. That 
the one for Abraham is seven million pounds. I know that because that's what Newcastle are going to pay. And if that's what Newcastle are going to pay, I, I can imagine that's what someone's he paid as well. So it's not a cheap loan deal. So that, that would have been a big outlay for us. And I think the board were just slightly against it. We sort of had a deal in place at Chelsea. Then, uh, then once he came with a better offer and they asked for seven million, so then we were like, no. So like that that deal didn't happen. But today, when you compared Hosselu with Tammy Abraham, like I would much rather have Hosselu. He just he wins everything in the air. He just runs himself into the ground. He knows his limits. Like today, he was excellent. I think he's a very he's very good for this level. I don't know why Stoke didn't use him more. He seems very good on the ball. Links up the game well. He's always in the right place where the ball falls, and he's always winning winning the uh, headers. And I think when he went off to Dwight Gale, it did hurt us a little bit in our holder play. And once we get a lot more of the ball in dangerous positions, and we had no out ball, and we were just sort of cramped in, which. I think in the championship when we had, when we were the better team, it made sense to have a goal-scoring Gale who could get in behind. But now we're going to be playing sort of back to the walls, counter-attacking. Uh, somebody like Hosselu makes a lot more sense. And Mankio as well. I mean, he's, he's been criticised a lot by the media for, for what he did at Sunderland. But a lot of players are just going to be awful in that Sunderland team. Like, there's only, there's only so much you can do. And it's really just going to bring you down playing in that team, like confidence-wise and... Um, decision making like it's not going to be easy so I think he, he's really developing under Benitez quite well and I think there's no reason to drop him yet for Yedlin although Yedlin was excellent last season Manku has been good so I, I didn't think it was that rotated but but as the season goes on Benitez loves to rotate so you're going to see Shelby come in Gale come in Yedlin come in um, you're going to see uh, Atsu and, and Murphy switch around maybe see Richie come out so yeah, it's, it's going to be quite common so but I, I think that was pretty much our th- uh, strongest 11 today just with those uh, injured players maybe not fully ready for starts. Yeah, yeah. I, I think Yedlin, Yedlin and Lejeune would probably come in, but Fair enough. not for today. Uh, really glad you uh, spoke about Josolu there. I was going to ask about him because he currently is tied for the most shots on target in the Premier League right now, despite doing it in one fewer match than Lukaku, Kane, Mohamed Salah, Sadio Mane, that group. Um, so it has been uh, very impressive, at least statistically. And it sounds like you're pretty pleased with what he's been doing for the club as well. Um, for Tottenham, it's uh, it's it was a good time for Harry Kane to get off the the Schneid, if you will. Uh, Crossgate did happen. Was it a cross? Was it a goal? Uh, yeah, it was both of those things. <laughs> Whether or not it was a shot, I don't think it was at all. Um, Thought it was really interesting because uh, when Pochettino was asked about later whether it was supposed to be a cross or a shot, he said it was a goal for Tottenham. And uh, that is very blunt, as we've gotten used to from Pochettino. But I think his point was, and you saw it in the in the second goal from Kane, that it just got that, that monkey off his back, where when the ball came in for the second one, the way he quickly opened up his body and whipped it into the far corner is something that w- was the kind of um, quickness uh, that we hadn't been seeing out of him. Even though he was putting a lot of shots on target, very few of them were kind of snap-snap plays like that. Um, and so, yeah, I, th- I think that confidence uh, was definitely helpful uh, from that first one to get Kane the second one. Against an Everton team that have a good defense, they, they're starting the season with a murderer's row uh, when it comes to their fixture list. Uh, I think they'll be a lot better than we've seen right now. Although, the one thing that was very clear was, A, they have a lot of difficulty... Uh, guarding the wings, despite the fact that Leighton Baines is, you know, still held in very high regard as a left back. But Kuko Martina, who I saw an Everton fan say was their uh, man of the match, quote unquote, for the first half, 
And I was very confused as to what that was. Actually, Jake, I'm glad to have you on because this was the analogy I used. Was it was very much like saying Kyle Walker-Peters was our man of the match in that match against you guys. Just because a defender is heavily involved in play does not mean that they're having a good match. Uh, because they have to keep making last-ditch tackles and stuff over on their side because people are getting into good positions against them. Um, so anyway, Everton should probably be a little bit concerned about that. And I don't know where the goals are going to come from. Uh, although all their set pieces were much more scary now that they have Gilfie Sigurds in there. Um, but yeah, so for Tottenham, getting Kane scoring is obviously great for us. Now the big question, um, kind of along the rotation lines that I was talking to with Jake there, uh, is what are we going to do in the Champions League? We we did uh, do a little mild rotation. We allowed Dembele and Son uh, to rest up. They did both make tiny sub-appearances at the end of the match. Um, <clears throat> that means we have Dembele and Son fresh. Um, Della Ali can't play in the Champions League for the first three matches because uh, of his red card last year in the Europa League, which people may have forgotten we were in because it was only for two matches. Um, so yeah, we're, I think we're going to see some rotation. The fact that we kept Trippier playing was not only because Aurier only had one training session with us uh, before that, but I think we will see him uh, in the Champions League against Dortmund on Wednesday. Um so yeah, I, I think we're also going to see a fair amount of rotation. I, I think the few players that are guaranteed to play in both constantly are going to be Ben Davis for now until Danny Rose gets back. And Davis, by the way, has had an incredible start to the season. Uh, Toby and Jan, because they're our best. Um, I'm not sure if we're going to go three at the back in the Champions League. If we are, then Davinson's probably also a lock, which means Dyer's a lock because Wanyama's hurt, and then Eriksen and Kane. I think the, I think the wings and who the other central midfielder uh, is going to be are the ones up in the air and the wing backs as well uh, once Rose gets back. But for now, it'll just be Davis and then probably a rotation of Trippier and um, Aurier. I assume we're just going to see Lloris in both. Continues, I continue to not understand why Michelle Vorm stays at our club. I, I think he's much better than uh, a backup for us. I think he could be starting for at least five to seven Premier League sides. Um, very pleased to have a, a backup as good as him. I know a lot of Tottenham fans are harsh on form because they're comparing him to Lloris every time he comes in. And that's, you know, going to make the majority of goalkeepers look bad. Um, but yeah, so getting ready for Champions League, that's what we're doing this week. Again, getting Kane off off the schneid in terms of scoring goals in both internationals and Tottenham, I think, is is huge heading into the Champions League where hopefully we can get a result midweek. Come, come next weekend, I might be talking about how we're probably not going to stay in the Champions League. I think we have to pick up a win against Dortmund. Either home and or either home or away, and home obviously the easier of the two. Although, as Steve mentioned earlier at Wembley, maybe not the case. Although uh, we have played some pretty good football at Wembley, just the results perhaps not having gone our way. All right, now we're going to head into player watch. We're going to discuss who our club's man of the match was officially, and if we agree, we'll start off with you, Steve. Uh, who was officially your man of the match? Um, I think. It's been a bit mixed, actually, depending on who you ask. Because <laughs> uh, I've, I've, I've looked in various places, and the BBC have said one thing, but the Arsenal.com have said the other. Uh, have said another. Um, so, from what I saw last night, which, granted, was definitely um, uh, was only highlights. I'll admit that. Um, Kolasinac, um he's been impressive actually since the very start of his his run. Goodness knows why he was left out against Liverpool. I, I can't explain that. Again, I won't go all the way back over that, but um, he just looks really impressive. 
Um, he was involved yesterday again, um, did really well um, in uh, his attacking um, and his ability to get in a cross when you don't expect him to um, is a fantastic aspect to his game. But on the flip side of that, when he's defending, he's actually quite a big guy. Um, I hadn't realised until I'd seen him kind of bearing down on one or two players. And and when you compare him to some of the other defenders that we've had in recent years, when you compare him to the likes of, um, for example, I'm not, not trying to kind of criticise specifically, but people like Kieran Gibbs or Nacho Monreal, Kalasinac looks like a proper defender. It looks like he's going to be difficult to get round. So, um, yeah, and he played. He did. He did play well. He's impressed so far. Um, it could have been Lacazette if he played the whole ninety minutes. He looked disappointed to come off, but um, but yeah, Kalasinac was um, was. Although everyone had an official, a different official specific person, I think he was the person who impressed uh, overall. If that makes any sense. Well, our official man of the match was obviously Jim Olesells. He, he cleared one off the line and scored the winner, so it's difficult to argue with that. But for me, our man of the match was probably Renato Sanchez. I thought he had a decent game. But uh, <laughs> there is uh, probably, um, probably, um, yeah, it's probably Jim Olesells, probably fair, isn't it? You could, man of the match, I guess, how do you define that? Most influence on the game. He did save the goal, scored one. Can't argue with that. Um, Jesus Gamers was quite good. Um, playing left back, it was his first Premier League start. I think he's played about six times for us before then, so he did pretty well at left back. Although he was incredibly slow, like I don't think I've ever seen a slower person on the football pitch. He was so slow, and, and that's a big concern going forward. Um, but he, his game, his positioning, and everything else was really good. Uh, what he did on the ball was good. He defended well, but he was just slow. I'm just not used to seeing that in the Premier League. Like there, there was a few times when they just uh, Swansea counter attack, and then he was just miles behind the the play, and he just looked. Nowhere, he was never going to catch up. It was weird to watch. Uh, and Michael Marino was very good as well. I think he's probably going to be one of the signings of the summer. But definitely our signing of the summer. He came from Dortmund on loan. I think we've got an option to make it permanent for five million, which is an absolute bargain in the current market. He's going to be somebody that goes on and plays for a Championship League team. He's definitely one that Mike Ashley will be seeing cash, uh, pound signs with. He's, he's going to go on to, to big things. He absolutely dominated the game today. Uh, Renato Sanchez was perfect to talk about before the game, but he was definitely uh, Marino was definitely one that everyone was talking about afterwards. He was absolutely superb, and he was absolutely superb against West Ham as well. So that is why Shelby's not playing. He he was very good, and and of, I just want a quick mention for the coaching staff because Rafa was not at the game today. They all did it. They did it. obviously a great job because um, before the game, Alan Pardew for Sky was saying that make them massive. Uh, Effect it, and it has a massive impact if the manager's not there. Well, obviously it doesn't for, for Newcastle because we are, we still won the game and, and we're the better team. So everybody sort of has to have a, a sort of a well done for that. Yeah, for Tottenham, uh, Christian Eriksen was our man of the match, um, and probably deservedly so. He he was definitely running everything. It was one of those really good Eriksen days. My only complaint ever with him has been that there aren't as many of those as there should be percentage wise. Um, it seems a little harsh for Kane not to get it with uh, two goals, getting his 100th goal for the club, etc. But uh, yeah, Christian Eriksen was obviously very, very good for us. My, my sneaky one would have been Davinson Sanchez, who in his first match for us looked incredibly composed. At times showed his passing acumen, his strength, um, and just generally his calmness on the ball. There was uh, a move where uh, he let the ball run past him and then just muscled 
of the forward from getting the ball when he could have just taken an early touch and gotten away from him. And it, it felt a little audacious, but uh, never worrying, which is the opposite of uh, the previous number six for us in the back, uh, which was Vlad Kirikesh. Um, so was very, very pleased with how he looked, as was Pochettino, who uh, gave him uh, a lot of love in the post-match press conference. Uh, so yeah, Christian Eriksen got it, probably deserved it. Kane and Devinson also could have been in there with a shout, though, as well. All right, this is a little bit of a shorter one, but that'll do it for us today. So if you'd like to tell the folks where they could find you or anything you're working on, now would be a good time. Great. Well, thanks for having me back, Kev. Uh, it's It's been good. Um, I've enjoyed it as ever. Uh, as I said before, I founded a website called findpubsport.com where you can uh, find local pubs that are showing live sport. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook uh, at, at findpubsport. Um, I also, for what it's worth, um, my day job is working as a personal trainer. So if anybody is looking to get fit, um, then, uh, yeah, get in touch at Scan Fitness on Instagram as S-C-A-N, or you can email scanfitness at hotmail.com. Yeah, you get my Twitter at Jake Jackman with two N's. I refer Eco Index and The Boot Room, among various other sites. So, uh, yeah, keep an eye on my Twitter, and I'll tweet anything I do out on there. Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, at KevRoth on Twitter. I write fantasy over at Goal.com, so be sure to go check that out. I also host the FPL Roundtable, which is on this channel. And uh, Jake is heavily involved in the Champions League round, or sorry, Champions League Roundtable, the Championship Roundtable, which you can find on this uh, very channel as well. So check that out if you'd like to see what's going on uh, league down. Um, yeah, that'll do it for us today. Again, as I said, thank you guys so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening.